0: and grows up in a Jewish home but doesn't, but you say has a Jewish soul, but doesn't practice Judaism, or moves away from Judaism,
1: where is that soul? Okay. We all heard the expression, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. When was the last time you heard the expression, a Christian is a Christian is a Christian? We never heard that expression. Or a Muslim is a Muslim is a Muslim. Or a Buddhist is a Buddhist is a Buddhist. An atheistic Christian is an oxymoron. There's no such thing. Because you can't be atheist and Christian. You can't be atheist and Muslim. But an atheist Jew is not a Jew. Only a Jew. A Jew never changes. Because Judaism is deeper than religion. Religion can change. Mother Teresa can turn into an atheist. It has happened to greater people than that. People get shaken up in their faith. They lose their faith. They lose their religion. Someone who sits and meditates for 20 years and then becomes a ranked materialist. Stops meditating. And moves to California and becomes a rank materialist. So he loses it. But a Jew will never lose his Judaism. A Jew is a Jew, Jew, the most self-hating Jew. The atheist Jew. Because it's deeper than religion. You can't change your core, your essence. Our behavior is external. You can't change your essence. It's your being. It's who you are. You were born with it. And that Jew is just as Jewish as the greatest rabbi, mystic, and scholar. Just as Jewish, just as connected. You can go to Yeshiva for 30 years, you won't become one iota more Jewish. You can learn to love it, to express it, to live it, to tap into it. Most Jews today, due to no fault of their own, don't know anything about being Jewish. They grew up without the benefit of a Jewish education. It's like imagine uh, Bach and Mozart Growing up in a home without a piano—that would—that would lead to a very frustrating human being. You have all this powerful energy inside of you, and you have no outlet. That's why Jews invented psychology. Most psychologists are Jews. Most of the patients are Jews. <laughs> it's probably true universally. <laughs> Most universities, look at the psychology department. It's all Jewish. Freud, Adler. I mean, the whole, the whole of the psychology was invented by Jews. You know, the, the Eskimos have, we have one word for snow. The Eskimos have 28 words for snow. Jews have 32 words for neurotic. Meshuggah, <laughs> tzedereit, famished. So, you know, this is because we're tortured. We, we, we're anguished. Jewish soul is revolutionary. You know, three Jews transformed the whole 20th century. Freud, Marx, Einstein, you know. A a revolutionary, there's this energy inside, there's nuclear energy inside of us. You know, the greater the potential for good, the greater the potential for to go the opposite way also. Every potential is a double-edged sword. If you utilize that potential properly, then you'll end up with the, with the greatest. If you don't utilize that potential properly end up with a tragedy every tragedy it's it's really two sides of, of, of one coin it means there was a tremendous potential for goodness and the greater the person and the greater the potential if that potential is not realized it turns into a tremendous tragedy look at the story of the Jewish people Our whole history is marked by extremes either an exodus from Egypt or a Tisha above, a destruction of a temple Either Holocaust or a six day war, a miracle. You know, either Entebbe or either Mashiach or Aslo There's no there's no there's nothing neutral in Jewish. Everything in Judaism is extreme, either tragic or miraculous. Because you have this powerful energy. And either either is going to be utilized properly, and if it's utilized properly, so the kid who runs away or rebels many times, that kid really has tremendous potential and it's because, because of that potential when that potential is not realized many times that child ends up ends up with the you know, it ends up tragically the child becomes self-hating or alienates himself from his family becomes alienated from his people you know the self-hating Jews the ultimate tragedy but they're so Jewish it's, it's not even funny i mean they're so jewish when was the last time you met a self-hating italian a self self-hating irishman only a jew it's a purely exclusively uniquely jewish phenomenon they're so jewish as much as they try to hide and run away and pretend it's so, they're, they're just proving the point how jewish they are you know so but it's a tragedy when a jew hates himself a jew feels so alienated from his own people and feels so uncomfortable in his own skin that he makes everyone around them feel uncomfortable the German Jews were more German than the German. And look what happened. Look, what, look at the backlash. They, they turned the Germans into such a rage. So it doesn't work for the Jew. It's a tragedy. When a Jew is so alienated from himself, feels so uncomfortable in his own skin, and is not settled, in his own and doesn't have his act together, the only way the world is going to find peace, and the world will be at peace, is when the Jew is at peace with his Jewishness. And the Jew is comfortable with his Jewishness. And the Jew is proud of his Jewishness. And the Jew taps into and expresses in a joyous, passionate way, every day of his life, expresses that divine spark, that divine potential, that innate, inherent potential of each and every one of us, that birthright, that each and every Jew, 14 million Jews, when 14 million Jews around the world, each and every one of them, without exception, will be proud of their Jewishness. And will, be, will do one more mitzvah, and make their Judaism a joyous and vibrant and passionate part of their daily life, till that moment, the world will never find peace. It's only when the Jew will be at peace with himself that then, at that moment, we will revolutionize human consciousness and we will usher in the Messianic era, Mashiach. It's so doable, so practical. All we need is 70,000 Jews on the Upper East Side, each and every one. To, be <laughs> to do one more mitzvah, every day to do one more mitzvah. That's all, That's all it takes, one baby step forward. But this is, this is the only answer. It's, it, it's the ultimate tragedy when a, when a child is turned off from his Judaism. Maybe he was exposed to a hypocritical teacher. Maybe he was exposed, you know, when children see that the adults are not sincere and the adults are hypocritical. And, and when Judaism has turned into a religion, we've labelized it and religionized it and turned it into orthodox reform, conservative and it becomes an ego trip and it becomes an ego game and it becomes about about the getting a share in the world to come and it's about, you know, this is the Jew instinctively rejects it because it knows that this is false this is a distortion this is not what Judaism was about Judaism is not about an ego trip Judaism is not about the eternal ego <laughs> the world to come, the eternal ego okay, so I'm going to, you know the whole essence of Judaism is about it's something divine, it's something godly. It's about becoming refined and becoming a better person and internalizing Judaism and allowing it to change us. If it doesn't change us and we don't internalize it and we don't integrate it and it doesn't affect us and it doesn't impact us and it doesn't change our attitudes or change our character or make us into a better person, a less egotistical person, a more refined person, a more sensitive person, a kinder person, a more loving person, then we've missed the whole point. And that's why we study the Tanya. The Tanya was, let's get back to basics. When the Baal Shem Tov came along in the scene, the Hasidic, the founder of the Hasidic movement, Judaism was was becoming an ego trip, a head trip, an ego trip, especially amongst Ashkenazic Jews and they, they really lost its soul they really forgot what it's all about it really became just a really a head trip and an ego trip and, and they really lost it and became labelized and externalized and superficial and, and the Bashamta says not, let, let's go back to sinai let's go back to the source let's go back to the essence what's it all about we have a jewish soul let's start from the foundation let's build it up from the cornerstone let's remember what this is all about we all have a Jewish soul. This holy soul is holy and it's pure and it's wholesome. And that's who we are. That's our essence. You don't have to reinvent yourself or become something otherworldly. It's the most natural thing in the world. It's instinctive. You just have to blow away the dust, the schmutz, and just allow the neshama, the soul, to emerge, that Jewishness to emerge and surface, and all its beauty and all its wholesomeness and all its loving goodness and kindness. And, and, and it's there. It's all there. It's innate. It's inherent. The treasure is there. So the Baal Shem Tov was like a good, um, a good geologist. And when we look at dirt, what, what do we see? We see dirt, we see schmutz. We see something, you can make mud and the children can roll in the mud and that's it. Someone digs a little deeper, what does he discover? He discovers stones. But a geologist goes even deeper. What does he discover? Gold, silver, diamonds. So the Balshemtov and Alter Rebbe and Hasidic Rebbe's were like good geologists. And they mined in the human psyche. Freud mined in the human psyche, and what did he discover? He discovered the dirt, schmutz, mud. What <laughs> yeah. Well, what are we? We're, we're, we're animals. That's what we really are. Okay. Mazal tov. Uh, Adler dug a little deeper, and what did he discover? Rocks. But the whole motivation, the drive for human beings is the drive for power. Everything is power. It's the language of today. Power, this power, that power. Okay, Nebuch. That's what life is all about. A bunch of rocks. And the Barshamtev and the Tanya digs into the same human psyche. Same human beings. All their foibles and all their limitations. And what does he discover? Gold, silver, the love of Hashem, the love of God, the awe of God, diamonds, faith, all these hidden treasures. These beautiful treasures. Oil. What? Oil. Oil. <laughs> we, we only got the olive oil. <laughs> In the latkes. So uh, all, the, all the hidden treasures, the healthy oil, all the hidden treasures, they're there. They're buried. You have to discover it. You have to be able to move away the schmutz and discover all these hidden treasures. And that's why we have to look at ourselves also. The Tanya helps us look at ourselves that way. That's why the tanya is very holistic. You know, there's two approaches to medicine. One is the pathological approach, and one is the holistic approach. The pathological approach is you're sick. And you're sicker than, than you know, than you like to know. And once you start examining, there's so much illness and so much sickness. And you're dealing with the sickness. When you're dealing with the sickness, you're, you're immersed in sickness. You know, people go into the hospital and get, get sicker just from being in that environment instead of... It's not even called, in Hebrew, they don't even call it a Beit HaRofim. They call it a Beit Cholim. It's a house of ill. It should have really been called a Beit HaRofim, a house of healing. Because it's all, the whole, you're immersed, the whole culture is immersed in pathology. You're immersed in illness, in the dangers, in how sick you are. The holistic approach to life is the exact opposite. The focus is on the healthy. That deep down you're healthy, essentially you're healthy. You have an infinite capacity for health you have a piece of God inside of you you have an infinite capacity of health and if a person is ill it's because you're a little off center get back to the center tap into that center of health and let the health spread and will overwhelm the negativity and just negativity you know it's like when a lake gets filled with weeds how do you attack it? you have two ways. one is start cutting the weeds okay if you have a thousand years you start cutting the weeds and another weed grows back it's, it's almost a, it's, a, it's an endless job but then there is a much better way to heal this clogged clogged up lake. You get to the root. What's the root cause? The lake is clogged up. It lost its fresh water. So you unplug, you unclog the lake, you allow the wellspring water to come burbling up, and then the weeds just die out. Suddenly the lake is fresh, clear again. That's what the Tanya does. The other approach is, the Musr approach is was the focus was on the pathology. Man is sick, man is selfish, man is self-centered, man is beastly. We act in ways that are self-destructive. And if you really start immersing yourself, it can get quite depressing. (laughs) If you start immersing yourself in human nature, how we self-destruct and we don't even think ahead and we do things that are foolish, that we regret, and you, really, you can really be harsh on yourself. We're, more, we're harsher on ourselves than our, our, than our own worst enemies. If we listen to the, ourselves the way we speak to ourselves, our own worst enemies wouldn't speak to us the way we speak to ourselves. You, you're harsh to yourself. You beat yourself into submission. You, you punish yourself. You hate yourself. And, you know, but that's, that's not a way to live. That's very external, very superficial. The Tanya the way, the Hasidic way, is holistic. You unclog you go deeper, you unplug and you, you tap into that fresh living water, that depth, one, one experience of something deeper inside of yourself, just tapping into your neshama, your true soul, encountering your soul, meeting your soul firsthand, allowing your neshama to emerge, allowing the neshama to speak its own language and listening and giving it the space to allow it to emerge into the surface. That one experience is worth more, all the harshness and all the musa and all the... And, and you're more likely to change. You're open to change. You want to change. You do it joyously. It's not through breaking yourself or being harsh on yourself or being harsh on others. You know, when you're harsh on others, it's just a reflection because you're harsh on yourself. But that, that that's not really, that's not the, that's not, doesn't bring any permanent change. It's just cosmetic change. You've cut the weed, and then another weed will grow and take its place. It's a never-ending battle. Instead, the Baal and the Tanya, the Alter Revi, unclogged the water and brought that fresh water to the surface. And then everything clears up and it's beautiful. And then you want to do the right thing. And it opens you up. It opens up your mind. It opens up your heart. And then you, you serve God in the joyous way. You're, you're proud to be Jewish. And then your Judaism becomes a joyous, <coughs> passionate, vibrant part of your daily life. That's the Tanya in a nutshell.
0: Rabbi Zalman of Liadi, um, he articulated the Chabad Lubavitch school of Hasidic thought. his commentaries on what the Baal Shem Tov wrote really spoke about?
1: He was the first Hasidic master who actually articulated the philosophy of the Baal Shem Tov in a book form, in a, in a, articulated and presented it in a very organized, philosophical, with a whole Weltanschauung, a whole way of looking at things, explaining the Jewish soul and explaining um, the makeup of the Tzaddik and the Benini and the struggles, you know, struggles, using the Chabad, wisdom, understanding and knowledge to internalize and to help us internalize and integrate and help us really articulate in language that we can make sense, in language that we can get excited about. It's, it's communication, 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 education, education. You have to articulate it in your own mind. It has to make sense to you. It has to inspire you individually and personally. What does being Jewish mean to me? It's not enough what it means for the Rebbe. What does it mean to me? What does keeping Shabbat mean for me personally? Because each and every one of us has to have a personal relationship with God. And you have to articulate it. And if you can't articulate it, you can't bring it down into words that move you, that change you, that affect you. Then it's external, then it's superficial. Then it remains in potential, it remains hidden. The diamonds are there, but you can't access it. So what does it help you if the diamonds are buried? Every Jew has a treasure, but it's buried. It remains buried, it doesn't do anyone any good. The purpose is to extract it, to polish it, and to make use of it. If you're a billionaire, act like a billionaire. Make use of it. Don't, don't live like a pauper when you're a billionaire. Every Jew in the blood, in the veins, you have the blood of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you have greatness flowing in your veins. Make use of it. Live a beautiful life, a godly life, an inspiring life, an inspired life, a meaningful life. And that's the challenge for us. And the key to unlock the door is education, education, education. That's the Chabad way. Chabad is two words. Chabad Lubavitch. It's the name of the movement founded by the author of the Tanya. Chabad, Lubavitch is a city in Russia, which was the headquarters for the movement for one hundred and fifty years. Lubavitch in Russia. Anyone here speaks Russian? Luba. It's like it's like Philadelphia. It means city of brotherly love. Lubavitch is city of brotherly love. Which is the essence of the Hasidic movement, the idea of the brotherly love between one Jew and the next, that we're all brothers and sisters, we all have the same Jewish soul, we're all intrinsically connected, so there's no looking down at another Jew, we're all in this together, we're all connected. That's the Lubavitch. The Tanya is education, education, education. And that's why the Rebbe, lubavitch Rebbe, was the seventh lubavitch Rebbe, took the Tanya, and he implemented this idea. He launched the greatest educational project in Jewish history. He created 3,600 Chabad houses like this one that we're sitting in today. There are 3,600 Chabad houses like this literally in every corner of the world. From Hawaii to Alaska to Russia to any corner of the world. Wherever they are Jews, you're going to find a Chabad house like this. 3,600 Chabad houses. And what are the Chabad houses? It's the largest educational project in, in Jewish history. It's education education, education all the time 24-7 it's making Judaism come alive allowing people to come in feel at home, it's called a Chabad house because it's Lubavitch it's unconditional love there's no judgmental, no one is judging anyone, everyone is welcome and everyone at their own level to take something and to learn and to grow, everyone at their own level but it's education, education, education presenting Judaism in a way where it it connects, where you can relate to it, you can connect with it, it's inspiring, it's moving, it's authentic, it's undiluted, but it's presented in a way that people can relate to and people could connect with on their own level. And it's really getting into into their mind that they should get excited about. It's their thing. It's not like they're coming to be molded into become orthodox or become it's, the, it's your thing, it belongs, it's your heritage, it's your Torah, it belongs to you entirely, each and every Jew, it's entirely yours, you have that neshama, you have it equally to Moses, the simplest Jew has the same neshama, we have a Jewish neshama, we're born with it, the peace of the divine essence, and each and every one of us has to make take a baby step forward, as long as we grow in it, each and every one on their own level, as long as we're constantly challenging ourselves and growing and moving forward, and you never judge a book by its cover. It's not where you are on the ladder, it's which direction you are. Are we going up the ladder? If you have a Jew who's doing one mitzvah, a Jew in Iowa, yesterday did zero mitzvah, and today he's doing one mitzvah. You have a Jew in Meir Sharim in Jerusalem who's doing 612 mitzvah. But yesterday he also did 612 mitzvahs. So who's more connected to the Jewishness? If you looked at the surface, the Jew in Meir Sharim looks the part. The Jew in Iowa, I'm, I'm not even sure he's, I can't even tell he's Jewish. But who's really more connected to the Jewish neshama? The Jew in Iowa. He's growing, he's moving forward, he's climbing. The Jew in Jemaah Shardim is stagnating. He's, he's stopped growing. So never judge a book by its cover. As long as we tap into that neshama, that inner soul, our Jewishness, and we have a, a relationship with God, and we're growing, and that's and that's really the challenge of the Tanya. That's, that's, that's what the Tanya is about. It's Chabad. It's education, education, education.
0: I've heard the term Chabad many, many times, but I never thought of it when you spoke about it. When Khatma Dina and Dot, you said the internalizing of it. Right. Was that the teaching of the Balsh uh, that uh,
1: that is encapsulated in Was that the idea of trying to take something of the sphere of these ideas and when you say internalize, I don't know if that means maybe psychological, what,
0: what that means, but I'm trying to understand kind of the structural
1: basis of this revolution that I call it that is based on? Well, that, Yeah, this is uniquely the Chabad, the idea of internalizing the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov. Um, because the Baal Shem Tov taught that each and every Jew has an neshama, has a soul and has a faith. But the Alter Rebbe highlighted the, the there's a problem with faith. Faith alone has a drawback. As the Talmud says, that the thief prays to God that he should have a successful night's stealing. So he goes, he prays to God that he should be successful in his thievery. Now that's a contradiction, if there ever was one. How can you pray to God, believe in God, and how can you steal? But that's the nature of faith. Faith is very vague. And a person could live a life, it's inconsistent. You know, I have faith. But it's not translating into into daily life. Your faith is not translating into daily life. So that's the drawback of faith. Intellect alone, of course, has a drawback. The Nazis were brilliant. Did they know how to make a gas that can gas people efficiently? They were very efficient. You know, Mussolini may made the trains run on time. They, they, were, they were very efficient. Brilliance doesn't lead to morality. Some of the most corrupt people in the face of the world are academicians. And the bastions of learning and university. Enlightenment. Germany was the bastion of university. And look what happened. Who are the biggest um, rationalizers for terrorist murder? Academicians. Professors. Philosophers fashions of universe, of intellect. So intellect doesn't lead to morality. As a matter of fact, on the contrary, the greater the intellect sometimes it can lead to the most distorted philosophies. And So we know the drawback of intellect. What the Alter Rebbe did is, what's unique, is that the Alter Rebbe married the intellect with faith. is so, when you combine the two, when you have faith, But you take this faith and you articulate the faith. Articulate the inarticulate. It's easy to articulate things that don't matter. External, superficial things. But trying to find words to to capture and to explain things that are difficult to explain. When you're dealing with the soul, you're dealing with things that are very, with the infinite, with godliness. You're dealing with things that are very intangible. You're dealing with things that are very subtle. The ability to articulate the inarticulate And to bring the faith out of the closet, so to speak, and to make it come alive to you as a person, that you could relate to it, that you can connect with it, that you can tap into it. This is really the challenge of Chabad. That that was the unique revolution within the revolution, the revolution of the Chabad, of the Alter Rebbe, within the Hasidic movement. Other Hasidim relied on faith. You You have faith in the Rebbe, you have faith in the Holy Jew, you're connected to the Rebbe, and that was enough. The Rabbi says, no, that's not enough. You have to engage your mind. You have to use your mind. You have to use your chachma, your binah, your da's, your wisdom, your understanding, your knowledge. Judaism has to fully engage you. It has to engage you as an individual. It has to engage your individuality. It has to engage your personality. It has to engage your character. It has to engage your uniqueness. It has to make sense to you. You have to articulate it. And you know, there are no shortcuts. That takes time. Pure faith is, you don't have to work too hard on it, but really engage your mind and to internalize the faith and to integrate that faith where that faith, faith can nourish you and nurture you and strengthen you and illuminate your life that takes time and that takes effort so there are no shortcuts in Judaism Judaism is not uh, it's about reality but it, but it is the long short way yes it takes time and effort but it's, it's the highway to a wholesome life you know you're following a well-lit-up path, a path that will lead to inner happiness, inner content, and inner satisfaction. Versus living a life which is filled with internal comfort. You're in constant comfort. You're torn in all different directions, which can never lead to satisfaction. You know, the moment a Jew sins, he regrets it. He's filled with regret. That's why Jews are always guilt-ridden. You know why they send home the Yiddish imam from jury duty? Because she insisted that she was guilty. <laughs> so uh, so you, can't l- you can't be happy. You can't be satisfied. If you live a life and you're torn in all different directions-you know, when you're in the synagogue, you're a Jew. When you're out of the synagogue, you're something else-it's it, not satisfying. And you may ignore the conflict and the tension, but it eats away at you. And it ultimately, eats away at your health also. You can't separate your health, your physical health, from your spiritual health. For a Jew, there's no separation. The healthier you are spiritually, the healthier you are internally, the healthier you will be also physically. Because when your life is together, and you have deep, deep inner nachas, deep, deep inner satisfaction, then it also leads to external satisfaction. Then your body is healthy. You, you, you're not leading a life, you're torn in all directions, you're conflicted, and you're not covering up, and you're not burying it. You're dealing with your life, you're dealing with your issues, you're working it all out and integrating it, and, and you, you're taking it to heart. When we talk about the unity of God, the absolute unity of God, it's not just an abstraction. God is one and God is absolutely one. Nothing changed. Before God created the world, He was alone. And after He created the world, these are not abstractions. Because what that means is, the way that translates on a personal level, is I also have to lead a unified life if God is one then if I'm connected to the unity of God I also have to be one I can't be scattered I can't be fragmented I can't be compartmentalized all over the place my life has to be consistent there has to be a consistent theme to my life there has to be a wholesomeness that permeates every aspect of my life and therefore Judaism and Torah has to illuminate challenge transform inspire elevate make a difference in every aspect of my life where I do business I do business differently because I'm a Jew I eat differently because I'm a Jew. I have relations. My relations are different because I'm... Every aspect of my life becomes transformed and elevated and better, is better as a result. I become a unified person. Most people don't live that type of life. Most people, their lives are scattered, compartmentalized. And, you know, for a Jew, it doesn't work because deep down something eats away at us. We're not happy. We can't be happy because something eats away at us. If we're not whole inside... Then the facade, yeah, we can put up a great facade, and we can drown out our sorrows, and we can get busy and lost in work, and, and we, we you know we work ourselves to death, and we don't. But we're not deep down inside. Something is eating away at us because we're not happy. Because it's not the solution. You can't live a fragmented life. It's only in Judaism that your life becomes unified when you're connected and you understand and you appreciate the absolute unity of God. And through Torah, mitzvot, we become unified within the absolute unity of God. Then our life becomes wholesome. Which explains why the Jewish people have survived for 3,800 years. This is a miracle. Everything in the world lives and dies. Everything. Plants. Animals. People. Civilizations. Stars. The only thing in the universe that doesn't die is the Jew. It goes on. We go on and on. We haven't lost any of our youthful vigor, any of our vibrancy. As a matter of fact, we haven't seen anything yet. The best is yet to come. Mashiach is yet coming. Anything that happened in the past, the exodus from Egypt, all the miracles is nothing. It's just a taste, a tiny taste, of what's yet to come. Why is that? Because the Jew, we've, we lead a unified type of life. When you lead a unified type of life, when our souls are connected to the absolute unity of God and we become unified within that unity, through Torah and through mitzvah and through making Judaism a vibrant, we weave it into the fabric of our daily life. Then it amplifies it enhances every aspect of our life. Not only the spiritual, even the physical. We become more successful in business. We become more successful our talents become amplified. We become more successful in our careers, whatever we're doing. Because the more whole, the more at peace you are inside, the more connected you are, the more clarity you have inside, the more depth you have, more quality you have, it will translate into quantity. It will, it will translate into external success as well. You have the, tr- the inner confidence and you don't get shaken. Most external people, when something happens externally, they get all shaken up and they're lost. Jumping out of windows or they're lost. We went through crushing experiences. No nation on earth ever went through what the Jew went through. And we didn't lose. We didn't lose our head, we didn't lose our mind. We picked ourselves up. We build, we rebuild, because we have a much deeper core, much deeper connection. Our confidence doesn't come from anything external, from anything egotistical. Because I made it, because I'm successful, because I have fame, money, power, that's, these are all props. They're all external, they're all acquired, easy come, easy go. That's not what gives us our confidence. Our confidence comes from something much deeper. It comes from that divine core, that divine essence. We have a relationship with God. No one can touch that place. No one could take it away from us no one not even our parents in the worst case scenario in the case of child abuse God forbid the worst abuse possible which for a child is like a holocaust parents are like God to a child but we're able to survive anything because there's a place within us that no one can touch we know that we're born with a piece of the divine essence that comes directly from God and are no human fingerprints it And no one could touch that place. That's the core of our being. That's the foundation of who we are. That's what gives us confidence and esteem and and strength. And no one could touch that. All the forces in the universe, no matter what happens in our lives, externally, no one could shake that core and that essence. That's the secret of the Jew. That's why we've never left the front pages for 3,800 years. And that's why the Jew is the eternal people. Always was, always will be. This, this is what the Alter Rebbe tried to do. He tried to take this faith, which is subconscious, and try to bring it on a conscious level. We should internalize it on a conscious level. We should be able to articulate and allow our faith to inspire us and to move us and to change us and to affect us.
0: I finally understand what this is, Bachelor, but how could it be any more than what you just said? <laughs> I mean... I see you on chapter twenty-three. I have no idea what chapter one says, but I mean, what more could you possibly add? I know this sounds really strange, but part of a lot of what he says is is part of me. Okay, so it's not something that's strange or because I live um, pretty much not not one hundred percent, of course, but I live pretty much as a Jew. It's my soul. It's my being it's who I am, it's what I do in business. So it's, it's my personal life, it's my business life. Um, so it's not something that I don't think about all the time. Okay? I, just, I just was wondering if this just makes it deeper and more, and more penetrating, but I'm just saying that it's, it's, it's not something that's strange to me. It's not something that, that I haven't thought about, lived by, heard, or whatever. So, I was just trying to understand
1: what this could do other than what you said. You know, um, maybe it helps us communicate, or helps us articulate what we're feeling. Because almost all of this we all know instinctively, we all have a Jewish soul. And maybe for thousands of years they just knew it instinctively and there was no need to articulate it. But then there came a time where... We had to communicate. When the ghetto walls started coming down and a Jew had a choice. For the first time in Jewish history, you don't have to be Jewish. You can be universalist. You can just get lost, disappear, assimilate. So instinct, feeling wasn't enough. You have to articulate it for yourself. You have to be able to communicate these feelings to yourself in a very sophisticated way. And also to be able to communicate it to our children can't just tell them, well, it's Jewish, and it's beautiful, and I love it. That's not enough. Uh, what do you mean? But There's so much out there. Why should I choose to be Jewish? And, and that's, unfortunately, that's what happened. Because most, like 80% of the Jewish people couldn't run away fast enough. But their parents were proud Jews, and they loved their Jewishness, and their bubbies. But they didn't have the language with which to communicate it. They just had the feeling, but they didn't have the language. And what happened was, is that the children went to university and they, they got the graduate degrees, and they knew more about the Aztecs. They can tell you more about the Aztecs than they could about their own religion. They had like a kindergarten and a Hebrew school understanding. And it just, it just didn't work. It just didn't work. And that's why we have to have the language to be able to articulate what we feel. We're not talking, you're right, we're not talking about something, other we're talking about ourselves. We're describing the, it's the psychology of the Jewish soul, of our soul, what we're experiencing. But it's putting it into words. And when you put it into words, it's helpful for ourselves because then we can, we can move forward. If you don't put it into words, it's very hard to move forward. With vague, fuzzy feelings, you can't work with it. It's very hard to, to change. But when you can put it into words, not when you put something that's, that's vague and fuzzy into words, something that's very deep, something that's very real, that you experience very deeply. When you're able to put it into words, then you're able to move forward. You're able to change, you're able to expand, you're able to grow, you're able to amplify it. It becomes a force in your life. It becomes a reality in your life and it helps you deal with realities in your life. Otherwise, if it just remains vague and fuzzy and, and formless and verbalist, then, then it, it, it doesn't do anything for you in your life. So even for ourselves, it's important. It's also important to communicate it, to be able to communicate it to others, to communicate it to our children, to be able to communicate it. So this is what the Tanya does. The Tanya is taking all these deep experiences that we all feel deep down, but we don't have the words necessarily. When we hear it and we put it into words, it resonates. It says, oh, exactly. Of course, that's exactly the way I feel. But now I have the language. Now I have the words to express it to myself and to others. And that's key. We are, we are living in the communication age. We are creatures of communication. If you can't communicate it, it's not just a detail that's missing. That, that was the problem that the Rebbe had with all the other Hasidic sects, there was no communication. It was all feelings and experiences and very deep and very loving and very... But if he can't communicate it, something essential is lacking. And it's not something that, that's necessarily going to endure. In order to endure, in order to carry it out and to express it in real life and to make it internalize it, integrate it, to make it a real part of your daily life and help you deal with real life situations, you have to be able to articulate it. And it's a beautiful story we concluded. Alter Rebbe, Alter Rebbe used to, he was a, a mystic. He used to go into ecstasy. Many times he would say chasidud. He would like go into ecstasy. When he prayed, without even being self-conscious, he would like, like bang his head against the wall. They had to pad the walls because sometimes he would bleed. He just didn't even realize what he was doing. He was just so enraptured that he would totally become oblivious to surroundings. Forget the surroundings. And many times, Alter Rebbe, when he said these Hasidic discourses, in the middle, he got so excited that he would start rolling on the floor. He didn't even realize he was rolling on the floor. Now, many of these Hasidic discourses were said on Shabbat. You can't have a tape recorder. There was no tape recorders then anyway. Everything was written down. So you had people, on Shabbat He can't write, you had people with great memories, phenomenal memories, who would remember almost literally word for word the Rebbe would speak for an hour and they would remember word for word what the Rebbe said. And after Shabbat, they would immediately write it and we we, we benefit from their what, what happened when the Rebbe started rolling on the floor. So they used to roll together with the Rebbe, they used to go on the floor, <laughs> they used to roll together with them to listen. And there were there were there were many portions, that's why you see in these in these writings, there were many blanks, like some sentences are blank because they didn't get every word. When he was rolling, they couldn't get every word. But the fascinating thing of this whole thing is that even when the Rebbe was rolling on the floor and he was, he was like a, 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 an ecstasy and he was like a mystic uh, par excellence and he was totally oblivious to his surrounding, he didn't stop speaking. That's what Chabad is. words, he was teaching us the importance of communication, that even when you're having the deepest, most mystical experience, that you just wanna, you just wanna sit and just absorb and keep silent. Even then, he didn't stop communicating. The challenge is to take those deep feelings, the deepest feelings, it's easy to talk about superficial things that don't matter, external, but it's hard to talk about things that really matter. There are places within us that are so deep and so subtle and so profound, we hardly even talk about it ourselves because we don't even have words for it. They're beyond words, they're just vague, fuzzy feelings. But it's important to capture those experiences and to capture it in words, to communicate. Words that are faithful to the experience. Not words. We live in a society which which suffers from verbal overdose. And there's so much w- words and very little illumination. But we're talking about words that inspire you. Words that put you on fire, set you on fire. Words that touch you deeply. These are words that resonate, that match that inner experience. So f- to be able to do that, the al was leading by example. That even when he was experiencing his deepest mystical experiences, he still kept on communicating. And that's a challenge for us. We live in the communication age. In business, if you don't communicate, you don't exist. In today's world, if you don't communicate, you don't exist. End of story. And it's not just true externally. It's also internally. If you can't communicate, communication is an essential part of a person. That's why the human being in Hebrew, in the Torah, is called medaber. What does medaber mean? A speaker, a communicator. How does the Western dictionary define Man. Rational animal. Aristotle defines man as a rational animal. Sichli, sikhli. In Hebrew, the equivalent would have been sikhli. So wouldn't it make more sense to define man as sikhli, as a rational animal? That's a higher faculty than speech, imagination, reasoning. Why does the Torah characterize man as medaber? That our uniqueness is that we speak. And the answer is because this is the essence of the person. It's not just speaking, it's communicating. Communication is essential for man. This is what you characterizes, and this is what's unique about man. This is why we're so spiritual: the need to communicate, the ability to communicate, the ability to articulate the inarticulate. And that's what the Tanya does. The Tanya really captures. Al Rebbe is the first one to really spell it out and to articulate it, and it resonates. It hits home. Everything he says is exactly your your reaction. Ex- that's exactly the way I feel. That's exactly what I'm experiencing. But the Alter put it into words, and when you put it into words, it becomes—it's amplified a thousandfold. Just like when the person communicates or doesn't communicate. When you don't communicate, you have the idea in your mind. You understand it. You grasp it. But only when you start communicating the idea, that it's amplified a thousandfold. It's not just—it's not just a, a little stronger. It's like—it's a whole different dimension. When you communicate, it takes you to a whole new dimension. That's the power of communication. So when you have the ability to put it into words, it takes your soul to a whole different dimension. Then it becomes a force in your life. Then your faith becomes a force in your life, a power in your life. A joyous, vibrant part of your daily life. And then you can explain it to yourself. You can inspire others. That's why Chabad are the... Communicators, Chabad is out there, 3600 Chabad houses like this, not sitting in their communities in Crown Heights in Brooklyn, but literally in every corner of the world, teaching, communicating. And that's why we've experienced the renaissance of Judaism. One of the greatest renaissances of Judaism, not only in our generation, but in, of all times, that hundreds of thousands of Jews, young Jews of all ages, have rediscovered their Judaism with a passion. Because the ability to communicate, the ability, not by diluting, God forbid, not diluting, but by taking the, the essence of Judaism in all its purity and all its beauty and all its depth and communicating it and making it available and communicating in a language that people can relate to, people can connect with, you can relate to, and we can connect, and then suddenly it comes alive. And it takes Judaism to a whole different dimension. And then Judaism starts impacting not only the Jewish world but Judaism starts impacting the entire world. That everyone from Madonna and Dan wants to connect to something Jewish, wants to study, wants to learn, wants to connect to something Jewish. So we're living in a very special day and age. And this is the language, this is the language for today's day and age. The Tanya. It's very difficult today to be a whole Jew, a wholesome Jew, with your feet firmly planted and grounded in this world, in the here and now, and be a dynamic, vibrant without compromising one iota of the genuineness and the depth and the beauty of Judaism without the Tanya. The Tanya today is an essential tool, key, that unlocks that treasure. It's a gift that Hashem gave us. And Hashem is an infinite mercy. Gave us the cure, the antidote before the illness. The Tanya is the antidote before the illness of assimilation and all the challenges that we face in our generation. The Tanya is the antidote. It gives us the key, the language to help us unlock our own soul and to unlock... All those around us.